The 1960-61 athletic season pushed the Missouri-Kansas rivalry to the brink. In the span of four months, the competition went to a whole new level, one that almost ended the rivalry forever. My name is Jeffrey Dean, and I'm actually from North Carolina. As a Mizzou student, I've been told to hate Kansas for three years now, but I never knew why. Now, I am in pursuit of the answer. This is Beyond Mr. Brightside. Before we get into the details of the events that transpired during the season, let's revisit Dr. Matt Katz, who provides some insight into how no rivalries data can reveal the underlying characteristics of how Mizzou and Kansas fans perceive the rivalry. For both Kansas and Missouri, the most fans, for Kansas and Missouri fans, the most important element of that rivalry is spatial proximity, right? It is geography. And what's interesting is as you go down that list, the second highest antecedent for both is this notion of conspicuous moments. This is yet another element of rivalry that is present in the Missouri-Kansas rivalry. So now, what was that moment of controversy? The saga that will lay the groundwork for an even more explosive incident between the two schools is rooted in something that isn't unique to the time period, illegal recruiting practices. This instance of illegal recruiting involved a Kansas football player. It's November 21st, 1960. Undefeated Missouri is ranked number one in the country in the AP poll and are hosting the unranked Kansas Jayhawks in the regular season finale for their homecoming football game. The game is tense as always, and the fans are unruly. According to a source in the Lawrence Journal World, quote, one Lawrence woman was spat upon by a female Tiger fan, unquote. On the field, there was an air of suspicion, and 60 minutes later, Kansas had shocked Mizzou on their home field. Missouri lost what they thought would be a sure win, and instead the Jayhawks left Columbia with a 23-7 victory. The win gave Kansas its first Big 8 title in 30 years. Dr. Sean Rost explains what unfolded. Burt Cohen was the Kansas player who was uh, alleged to have taken impermissible benefits from a Kansas donor. Uh, the Big 8 rules him ineligible. Kansas wins utilizing Cohen in that game in 1960. It becomes an asterisk game in which technically the University of Missouri wins the game for football, even though they technically lost it on the field. However, just over two weeks later, the Big 8 forfeited the game to Missouri. The news of the forfeit was front page news above the fold in Lawrence. Quote, Big 8 votes 5-3 to three to strip KU's title in Burt Cohn action. According to the paper, quote, the KU sentiment is that the Tigers have just won the most synthetic title in league history. The result was devastating for Missouri, even if they ended up getting the game forfeited to them. By that point, it was too late. Dr. Rost explains why. The football game in 1960 essentially cost the University of Missouri a national championship. At that point in time, uh, the voters decided who was the national champion before the bowl games. So the bowl games were mostly festive and ceremonial, but they didn't carry actual weight in terms of rankings for the final end of the season. So instead of getting the recognition as national champions, that designation went to the one-loss University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. However, the results of the game following the crowning of Minnesota as national champions provided further fodder for animosity targeted at the Kansas Jayhawks over the Burt Cone fiasco. Dr. Rost. Because they, win, they also win their bowl game after that point in time, um, and the actual winner of the national championship loses Minnesota, actually loses their bowl game. So... Uh, the university had a claim, or I guess they can still arguably can claim a national championship that year based upon rankings. 
But when all was said and done, what happened against Kansas in 1960 cost Missouri a national championship, something they had not achieved before or since that year. Come basketball season, Kansas was a favorite to contend for a national title. They had reached the Elite Eight in the previous season, and they opened the season at 4th in the coaches' poll and 16th in the AP poll. This is also an inflection point for both Missouri and Kansas basketball, and how they compare to one another. Here's Dr. Rost again. This game takes place not too long after Bolt Chamberlain had left the University of Kansas, so I mean, Kansas has a national prowess at this point. And the University of Missouri was struggling through a, a series of down years in a lot of ways uh, under Sparky Stallman. And essentially, Kansas is, is destined to like dominate a lot of the teams at that point. Missouri is trying to keep up in a lot of ways. Jumping inside this season, the two schools meet for the first time during the 1960-61 season in mid-February, and the game is played in Lawrence. According to the Lawrence Journal World editor Earl Morey, quote, The crowd was ugly, and the game was fast and hard played. It was fairly clean from start to finish. The two teams seemed far more intent on winning than some of the usual rough stuff, unquote. Here's Dr. Rost on that game. The game against Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, is, is a pretty back-and-forth contest. It's, it's, it's highly contested. There's a lot of animosity during the game between the players. Um, and then a couple weeks later, they play again. During the weeks between the two contests, they each played five games of mediocre basketball. Kansas won three games, but lost to eighth-ranked Kansas State and unranked Nebraska. Missouri won two games and had a pair of losses against the same Kansas State team and a loss to Colorado. However, Missouri came into the second matchup against Kansas, having won two in a row after soundly defeating Iowa State and Nebraska. The second matchup is nationally broadcast on ABC and commentated by Jack Buck, the legendary play-by-play -play voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. The game itself is in Columbia at Brewer Fieldhouse. Mizzou students may recognize that game for good reason, as it is now part of the rec. Once again, the game was a closely contested and physical matchup. Things exploded just after halftime. After a pair of missed free throws by Kansas star forward Wayne Hightower, Missouri collected the rebound and began to dribble down the floor. Here's what happened as broadcasted by Jack Buck. Hightower missed them both. Hightower steals the ball and blows the layup. Then he gets it back and scores. And it's on the putback shot that Missouri's Charles Henke fouls Hightower hard, and in response, Hightower takes a swing at Henke. In Missouri, and brother, they are really slugging in there. With players already breaking off and fighting one another, the situation devolves further. And there's a wild scramble down on the other end of the court. And now the spectators are coming out, and this is really getting to be something. In an effort to quell the melee taking place on the court between both players and fans, the band tries to play the national anthem as means of restoring order. Here's our national anthem, and let's see what it does to the crowd. Both officials have come away from that crowd because they just can't do anything about it. Eventually, the crowd begins to separate. And the people, spectators and players alike, are stacked up about 10 deep over in the corner. And finally, unfortunately, cooler heads prevail. But there's going to be more than one shiner come out of that crowd. The conflict has been brewing steadily since the events surrounding the football game in November and then through the first matchup in Lawrence. We mentioned it before. This is a carryover from the football season. There was some bad blood between the two ball clubs when they met earlier on the home court of Kansas. Jack Buck summed up the aura surrounding the game quite simply. So you're awaiting for something to happen. 
finally dead. Ultimately, the game ended up going in Missouri's favor as the Tigers pulled out a 79-76 upset victory. The win snapped a 10-game losing streak against the Jayhawks, and including that game, the Tigers would go on to win six of the next eight matchups against Kansas. However, over the course of the season, the result of that game meant very little, but as far as the rivalry, it was a major flashpoint. Here's Dr. Rost again. In the end, University of Missouri has a, has a rather down year. Kansas uh, has a really good year in that capacity, so it's, it's kind of a, a very small token on the overall season, but it's certainly something between November and in March of 60 and 61, that's a four-month span of time. There's a lot of animosity between the two schools over that. Beyond just the on-court animosity, the incident had fallout that extended to the entire rivalry. They even debated the element of continuing the rivalry. The argument was if the rivalry is too heated, it's too confrontational, perhaps it needs to be suspended because they can't play nice. The brawl made front-page news. The Lawrence Journal World headline read, Quote, MU rivalry too bitter. KU may sever ties. Unquote. In Missouri, the Columbia Missourian wrote, quote, KU Missouri may sever future athletic relations. Unquote. After the game, Kansas Athletic Director A.C. Dutch Lonborg told reporters at the Journal World, quote, I feel that if this extreme bitterness continues between the two schools, we will have to discontinue playing each other, at least for a while. Unquote. Who should hold the blame for the situation was passed around quite a bit, as to be expected. In response to Lonborg's comments, Mizzou Athletic Director Don Farrow said, quote, There is no bitterness on the part of our fans towards Kansas, unquote. Seems pretty cut and dry, but the quote doesn't end there. Farrow continued, quote, But if any bitterness exists, it has been brought about by the Kansas people on the Cone case, unquote. This seems to fully certify the idea that this brawl was undoubtedly linked to resentment over the events of the football season. Kansas coach Dick Harp was reported in the Journal World, adding that he felt there were events leading up to and during the game that created a, quote, attitude that led to the brawl. And quoted as saying, In my final analysis, I do not blame my boys, just as I do not blame the Missouri players for all of this, unquote. Harp continued, quote, and I am certain this will happen again and again unless we find out why we are playing the game. Unquote. The future of the rivalry at this point hung in the balance. Dr. Rost again. There was a lot of debate back and forth at that time about, you know, what should be done between the two schools. Obviously, they'd have to play each other as conference rivals, but how do you address the animosity that exists at that point? What has happened now on the football field and now on the basketball court in the span of four months as well? Ultimately, the rivalry continued, and there were no more altercations, or at least to the degree of the one in 1961. In both basketball and football, the script was flipped. Missouri began to experience greater success over the following half-decade. Once the 70s rolled around, parity was restored. For the next decade, Kansas still had a slight edge, but the level of competition was high. That parity would continue into the 1980s through to the millennium, but the rivalry was changing. The past was getting further and further behind, and the athletic symbolism of the rivalry was becoming greater. The matchups that took place over the next three-plus decades are the ones that are recounted to this very day. That's next time on Beyond Mr. Brightside.